good morning and a joyous resurrection to you. Thank you for tuning in today. Our Sunday school classes are not meeting on campus, but it's always a good time to do Bible study, and we don't want to miss our Easter lesson. So thank you for joining me this morning. As we begin, let me ask you a question. What is the biggest surprise you can remember ever getting? And why was it a surprise? What happened? As we reflect back on that surprise, it always involves something unexpected, something we didn't see coming. Today, we're going to look at the king of all surprises, though foretold and hinted at, those involved never expected. Today, we're going to skip ahead a few chapters in our study of Luke, and next week, we'll drop back into the regular flow, so you're not going to miss anything. But today, we're going to begin with Luke 23:50, and our study will go through the 12th verse of chapter 24. Let's remember for just a moment who Luke was. He was a medical doctor who accompanied Paul on many of Paul's missionary journeys. He also served as an investigator and reporter on the life and ministry of Jesus. We remember in the very first words in the book of Luke, Luke wrote this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things which you've been taught. So Luke has investigated and talked to all the parties involved. And so we read this morning his account of what happened after Jesus' death late that Friday afternoon through Sunday morning. Understand this, the resurrection of Christ changes everything. His resurrection validates all his claims to be the one and only Son of God and the only way to the Father. That's not a, there's not a more important passage of Scripture for us to know and understand than the one before us today. The history of the earthly life of Christ closes with a miracle as great as that of its beginning. If He, Jesus, was what the gospel presented Him to be, He must have been born of a virgin without sin, and He must have risen from the dead. If the virgin birth is true, we can believe the story of His resurrection. If the resurrection is true, we can believe the story of His birth. So let's read, beginning in chapter 23 of Luke, beginning with verse 50. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. Joseph, it tells us, was a member of the Sanhedrin. There is nothing else known about Joseph except what's stated here. And it reminds us of the fact that Christ has he had, and he has, some disciples of whom little is known. At the time when his beloved disciples were not to be found, Joseph was there. Many had confessed Jesus when he healed, when he fed, and when he performed miracles, but Joseph was there at his death. 
It should encourage us that God has his people in places for times that we cannot imagine. Joseph begged for Jesus' body. It tells us Joseph believed Jesus to be dead. Mark 15, 44 tells us that Pilate granted it only after the reassurances by his soldiers that Jesus was truly dead. John tells us also that Joseph was helped by Nicodemus. Secondly, we see the reality of Christ's death. Joseph handled his body. He pulled the nails out. He wrapped the body. He looked at the body. Those who handled Jesus' body saw no life in him. They knew they were bearing a corpse. And that's a huge plus for us. Nothing short of Christ's full death would pay the price for our sin. He had to die, and he did. The centurion testified of that. The women watching his burial testified of that. The priests who sealed the grave testified of that. The soldiers guarding the tomb testified of that. The testimony is indisputable that Christ died, and he died for your sins and mine. The fact that the tomb was a cave hewn out of rock lets us know there was no labyrinth of connecting entrances and exits. There'd be no clandestine removal of Jesus' body. Verse 56 lets us know that the women knew where Jesus' body was buried, and they were not mistaken when they went to the tomb early that Sunday morning. And they went to prepare the spices and ointments. They too completely believed that Jesus was dead. They did not expect him to rise up. No one in Gethsemane saw Easter coming. No one present in the garden that night or at Calvary the next day saw Easter coming. This is a theme we see across Scripture. Think of Joseph before Pharaoh's dreams, Moses before the Exodus, Joshua the sixth time around Jericho, Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den, Lazarus when he was buried, Paul on his journey to Damascus, John when he was exiled to Patmos. John 7.5 tells us that during Jesus' earthly ministry, not even his brothers believed in him. But one of them was Jude, who became the author of the biblical book bearing his name. Another was James, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church and author of a book bearing his name. Each of these stories illustrates the same fact. It is always too soon to give up on what God is going to do. Let me remind you quickly of some other resurrections in the store in the Bible, of which there are nine besides Christ. There's Elijah who raised the son of Zarephath from the dead. Elisha raised the son of the woman of Shunem, whose body he had, uh, whose birth he had previously foretold. A man was raised from the dead when his body, his dead body, touched Elisha's bones in 2 Kings. Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus shortly after her death. Jesus raised a young man in the middle of his own funeral procession. Jesus raised Lazarus of Bethany, who had been buried for four days. In the Acts of the Apostles, Peter raised a woman named Dorcas. Paul revived a man named Eutychus, who had fallen asleep and fallen out a window to his death. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' resurrection, many of those who had previously died came out of the tombs and entered Jerusalem, and there appeared to many. And our pastor mentioned that last week in his sermon. So let's read about the resurrection. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. 
And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the leaven and all the rest. And they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them, that is the apostles, as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So let's see the reality of Christ's resurrection. They went on the day after the Sabbath in the morning, which was Sunday morning. This is why we worship on Sunday. Sunday is not the Sabbath. It is the day of Christ's resurrection, and we celebrate that not only at Easter, but on every Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. And this is why the apostles and the early church began meeting on Sunday, not on Saturdays or the Sabbath. Think about it for just a moment in the story. What potential problems loomed ahead for the women as they went early that morning to the tomb? I can think that they expected guards to be there. Uh, They were alone. It was always dangerous for women to be alone. If there was anyone there, it would be men, and that's a problem. There was a rock in front of it that they couldn't move. All kinds of issues. But what did they find when they got there? When they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So very early the next morning, they went to the tomb. Luke names the three women at the tomb. Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus freed from demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who worked for Herod Antipas, and Mary, the mother of the younger James of the disciples, not the James and John. Luke recorded other women as being present also. One of those was Salome, the mother of the brothers James and John, who Mark named in his gospel in Mark 16.1. By naming these witnesses, Luke was making it possible for people to fact-check his report. By naming eyewitnesses, he was adding credibility to the story. The stone sealing the tomb was rolled away and the tomb was empty. They did not understand where the body of Jesus could possibly be. Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes appeared, later identified as angels. The word translated dazzling, uh, NIV translated as gleamed like lightning, was used to describe Jesus' appearance at the transfiguration. The women were terrified and bowed to the ground. Such angelic encounters often were met with fear. The angels questioned the women as to why they'd be looking for the living among the dead. And the question implies that the women should have remembered that Jesus foretelling them that he would be killed but raised from the dead on the third day. Angels were present to announce Jesus' birth, and they were here at this pivotal moment in history to announce his resurrection. He is not here. He is risen. God the Father's angelic messengers gave the first authoritative testimony to the resurrection. The angels then quoted Jesus' own words that it was necessary that he be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that he be crucified, and that he be raised in the third day. It was necessary because it was God's divine plan to accomplish the redemption of those who would believe. So how did the angels comfort the women? Think about it for a moment. They reminded them of truth and what Christ had said. 
So let me ask you, how do you comfort people when they've lost a loved one or when they're, when they're in grief? I can see here that one of the things that we need to always do is remind people of truth in a loving way. Verse 9, St. Augustine remarked that the women became the first preachers on earth of the resurrection of Jesus. And we see here again how dull the apostles' memories were about the things that he said. When the angels spoke to the woman, they reminded them of their master's words in Galilee, foretelling of his own crucifixion and resurrection. And we read, they remembered his words in verse 8. But spiritual amnesia is a common disease among believers. It's prevalent today as much as it was in the first century. So see how slowly they believed. In Matthew, we read that the Sanhedrin had taken precautions against his body being stolen that would give the appearance of the fulfillment of his Jesus' prediction that he would rise again in three days. But Jesus' own disciples had no such recollection of that hope. When the women returned from the tomb to the disciples and told the eleven disciples what they saw, but despite this, the women's joy and exuberance and the sharing about what Jesus had said, despite being unable to account for the empty tomb, despite Christ's own words that week, despite others uh, having been resurrected, these eleven closest friends of Jesus, the disciples, refused to believe that he had been resurrected. So I ask you, how were the women received? And I ask us then to apply that. How are we received when we talk about the resurrection? Often, so often, people do not believe the story. But we need to tell the truth anyway that Christ has been resurrected. Read in John 20 that Peter and John ran to the tomb to see for themselves and saw only the linen cloths lying there. The fact that the linen was still there is another detail that dispels any speculation that grave robbers took Jesus' body. Linen was more valuable than a corpse. Luke reports that Peter went away amazed. That first Easter Sunday was the greatest day in human history because Satan was defeated. Jesus won the victory over sin and death and made a way for all who believe in him to have eternal life. Jesus was physically going away to start his role as the high priest and advocate, but his disciples would be his representatives on the earth. It was their mission to share the good news of the gospel, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and how it set you free from sin. Those same disciples who fell asleep in the garden, who fled the night of Jesus' arrest, who felt life no longer had meaning when Jesus died, are the same people who discovered their purpose, preached with power, and withstood persecution in the book of Acts. They were surrendered to and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we allow Him, Jesus, to control our life, you will glorify God and use your gifts to impact the lives of other people. That starts with following Jesus' great commission, as it says in Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them always to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Billy Graham reminds us that there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. The testimony of Charles Colson, one of the convicted conspirators in the Watergate break-in, who later came to know Christ in prison, was this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years and never once denied it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if it wasn't true. 
Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The resurrection is the truth, and the story is the most unbelievable and yet the most verified of all. The importance of these scriptures and these truths cannot be adequately expressed in words. A dead Christ might have been a teacher and a wonder worker and remembered and loved as such, but only a risen and living Christ could be our Savior, the life and the life giver, and as such preached to all men. And of this most blessed truth, we have the fullest and most unquestionable evidence. Christ has risen indeed. So God can do a radical thing. He sent his son to earth to live a perfectly righteous life, then go to the cross to die in our place, and then rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. So let me encourage you this Easter Sunday morning, Christ is risen indeed. Now join us next week when Chris Anderson leads us in our studies. We return to Luke 19 in our consecutive study of the life of Christ in the book of Luke. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We ask that you continue to impress upon us, remind us that it makes a difference in everything and in every relationship. And Father, I pray that even this day, our lives will get testimony to the fact that you're risen. We thank you for that. Thank you for saving us. And we ask these things together in Christ's name. Amen.